You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. So in this series, we want to take a few weeks um, and look at this word, wilderness, because we see it about 320 times in the Bible. And I think this, uh, this theme of uh, suffering This theme of wilderness is, I think, very deep throughout Scripture. And as you read all the passages and verses that that have this word wilderness, I think that we would all agree that they definitely point to some kind of suffering. Um, So we want to take the next few weeks um, and a few of these passages that talk about being in the wilderness and learn from what the Bible has to say about suffering. Um, And... You know, how we ought to feel when we go through suffering, how we ought to think, how we ought to make decisions, right? Um, so there's yeah, different dynamics that happen as we go through suffering, and I think we can learn a lot uh, from what God has to say. So last week we talked about the gifts that God wants to give to us as we go through the wilderness. We looked at two main passages, Numbers 11, if you guys remember, and then Job 28. Uh, we looked at the gift of purifying fire. Kind of a peculiar gift, right? Um, kind of hard to receive, but God does purify us. God wants to purify us from all the impurities of unforgiveness, immorality, jealousy, anger, hatred, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of impurities that we carry with us throughout life. So God sometimes allows suffering in our life to purify us and to, to make us more like Christ, if you may, because he is committed to our best and our highest. Right, And that's because he loves us very, very much. Then we talked about this gift of wisdom and how it's so important to have wisdom as we go into suffering. Right, But then if suffering is handled correctly, uh, we can grow in this gift of wisdom as well. Uh, Today, we are going to call the second sermon in our Into the Wilderness series, Hearing from God. Hearing from God. Let me ask you a question right from the start, as you know that I love asking questions. When we go through suffering, when we go through the wilderness, what do we need to hear most? When you think of a time that, you know, maybe you're going through the wilderness right now. And maybe someone, a parent, a sibling, a friend said something to you and, man, it just felt like medicine to your soul. It really lifted you up, right? Think of something like that, right? What what do you want to hear most? When you go, when we go through suffering. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. As much as we want to hear God say to us, you may be healed now if you're sick. Or I will now take your pain away. You will feel nothing but just happy thoughts. And I will change your circumstances and, and, and I'll get you out of the wilderness right this second. As much as we want to hear that. And God does that a lot of times. What we need to hear the most is God's gentle whisper, more than him changing our circumstances. God's still small voice, regardless of what our circumstances are, regardless of him changing our circumstances. Today we're going to be in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, a well-known chapter, I believe. And and I want us to learn from a prophet by the name of Elijah. (laughs) And... uh, as, as he had a pretty rough experience in the wilderness. And uh, yeah, he had some amazing victories. Remember the Mount Carmel, 
you know, experience. And everyone knows Elijah by that, but he had some rough moments in the wilderness as well, and I want us to learn from him. As I said last week, we're actually in a moment of wilderness right now in, in, in our life, right now with the whole world. A moment of difficulty, right? Uh, and pain and a, a fearful and stressful season for sure. A lot of unknowns and we, we ask a lot. We think a lot, what, man, what's going to happen? Is this is the craziness of this world? Is, this, is it just going to kind of keep on going? Is this spiraling into, into, you know, maybe just the earth just kind of seizing and this is it. This is it. In the end, the end of times, the end, God is coming. What's, what's going on? So there's a lot of things that are going through our mind, a lot of emotions uh, that we feel as well. And these are the kind of moments where we need to hear specific things, but specific things from the Lord. And I believe that God wants to say something specific to you and to me. In our life right now, as we go through this season, as we're going through the wilderness, so we're going to be answering the question of what is it that we need to hear the most in this time? So again, we're going to be in 1 Kings 19, and, and before we read parts of it and, and get into it, let me just set the stage for a little bit. 1 Kings 19 takes place in the period that was called the divided kingdom of Israel. And, and at this point in 1 Kings 19, and you may open your Bibles at, at this passage, the king that's in charge of the northern kingdom, that's where the story takes place, is King Ahab. And Ahab, the Bible says, this is not me, the Bible says, he is the absolute worst king to date. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and now King Ahab marries this woman by the name of Jezebel, and is just absolutely evil and wicked. I, I, there's no other words for this woman. And she brings with her the, this, uh, the worship of the false god Baal. And, and she gets hundreds of God's prophets executed and killed. Uh, she is this intense woman who does just evil stuff and is really like a, a puppet master and controls her husband, King Ahab. Great resume, huh? <laughs> the other character that we find in this story who is actually the main character is the prophet Elijah. And we're going to look at his life. And he is... He is the one we're going to learn from. And, and what we know at this point when Elijah steps onto the scene is that for three and a half years, Elijah has to go hide. He's, he's, he's been hiding because God had, had him pronounce judgment on the king by sending a drought, right? And this evil queen and her husband, King Ahab, are now looking to kill him, right? So he's kind of running for his life. But God sends a message to Elijah again, and God tells him to go back to King Ahab. To tell him that he's going to send rain on the land. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal the land if, if people actually repent from their sins. And this is where we have this famous story in chapter 18 called the story of Mount Carmel. Right? The, the showdown, right? The contest of whose God is actually the true God. And this is where we see this dramatic and satisfying victory that God grants Elijah, right? against 450 prophets of Baal and, and Jezebel's prophets, right? And God shows his glory and, and by sending fire from heaven to light up the, this altar that Elijah soaked in water just to make it even more dramatic and impossible, right? So now this is an amazing victory for Elijah uh, and for God ultimately. And for a second year, I want to just take this quick rabbit trail, just, just a, a pit stop, right? And I want us to notice something. The people's hearts are drawn back to repentance, at least for a while, right? 
They turn from their worship of idols and they announce that the Lord alone is God and we want to worship you, Jesus, and, and we could care less about the, you know, the false gods. And, and the reality is that you and I are tempted in the same way to worship idols just like they were. Now, it'll look a little different for us today, right? Than it did for them. We may not have a golden calf statue on our, you know, uh, fireplace mentals. I mean, few of us even know about the false god Baal anymore, right? But make no mistake about it, friends. We certainly have idols that we bow down to in our life now. The reality is that anything we put as number one in our life, that we give all of our attention to, that we give all of our energy to, that we give our finances to, that we give all of our focus to, those things can so easily become idols that we actually worship in our life. It might not look like a golden cow statue, sure, but it might look like your success if that's what you're going for. And that's all you want, that's all you see. It might look like accumulating wealth and, and possessions for yourself. It might be security and you're really going for that because, man, I, I want to take control of my own hands. And it might be your own popularity. The likes on social media, that's what you really care about. The reality is that through suffering, God shows us that these things, these idols, are not who, they, are not who you think they are. <laughs> In other words, they're being tested. And when we go through suffering, when we go through the wilderness, what's being shown to us through this time of affliction is just on what shaky grounds, shaky ground these things are founded on and how powerless they are and how deceiving these idols actually are in our lives. John Wesley said it like this, and I quote, And to give your heart, to give our heart to any other is plain idolatry. Accordingly, whatever takes our heart from him or shares it with him is an idol. End quote. That's a great definition of an idol, isn't it? Whatever is taking your heart from God is an idol or sharing it with God is an idol. Just really quickly, we've looked at this a couple of months ago and some of you remember, but I felt in my heart a nudge to show you this again. Some practical questions really quickly to help us identify idols in our own hearts. So question number one, what do you spend your time on? Just analyze yourself. Ask yourself this question, what, what am I spending my time on? I mean, the things we value and love, church, most are what we invest our time into. So just kind of, you know, assess your life. Assess the past few months of your life. Where, where's your time going to? Question number two, what do you fear losing? This one gets me all the time. What do you fear losing? Because what we think we can't live without is often an idol. That is, I don't know, for me that's really hard. That's probably the hardest thing for me. You think about your kids, think about your wife and things like that you love and you ought to love. Question number three, what do you trust in to make your life better? Right? Idols often become our refuge. It's what we turn to for help and for hope and for comfort. Assess your heart in question number four. What sin or sins do you constantly battle with? You know, I'm saying that because whatever we love more than God, 
We will sin to get it, to obtain it. And that's an idol. So just assess your, your heart. I'm, I'm doing the same. So if your heart is full of worshiping idols, if our hearts are full of worth, or just not full, just a few, I would call you, I would call us to turn our heart back to God because that's exactly what he wants, right? And that's what he's trying to accomplish with allowing suffering in our life through the wilderness. And, and he wants to strip down all the false gods in our life and in, in hearts. Getting back to our story, so you actually get this feeling that this may have been a turning point for the nation of Israel after the Mount Carmel showdown. Because people, the Bible says, people are turning back to God. And all of a sudden, by one woman's rebellion, all of that begins to unravel. Because Jezebel, when she hears, when she hears the news of what happened to her prophets, that they were executed, <laughs> she goes nuts. She goes nuts. Just more evil. And this is where we get to our text in chapter 19. So if you're, if you're, I have it up, we have it up on the screens, but it's always good to carry a Bible with you, right? So let's just read chapter 19, verses 1. I think we're going to read four verses for now. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Ooh, quite a threat. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life when he came to Beersheba and Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey. And this is where we have our expression, into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, broom bush sat down under it and, and prayed that he might die. Like, whoa, what just happened to you, Elijah? You just slaughtered 450 prophets of Baal and now we, you want to commit, you want to just, you know, you want your life to end? I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. This is definitely a different picture of Elijah than we often have in our minds, right? We, we focus on the Mount Carmel victory. Like, whoa, that's, that's what Elijah's known for. It's the highest of the high. I mean, the lone prophet of God, you know, facing 450 prophets of Baal. And so what happened then? What, what, what happened? In a single verse, Elijah went from being at the palace about to confront you know, confronting Jezebel and King Ahab to a hundred miles south in Beersheba, like the opposite way. What, what just happened? And it's not as if Elijah hadn't had his life in danger up until this point, right? It's not like he was, he was running before. For the last three and a half years, his life has been in danger. So we have to ask the question, what happened? What changed? What is so different? Why has Elijah in this moment gone from being full of faith in the power of God to now he's being afraid of death threats, you know, from this woman, Jezebel? Like, what, what just happened? Do you know what happened? And it happens to us very often. Elijah became disillusioned. Elijah became disillusioned. We hear this word uh, uh, quite, quite a lot, don't we? It means to be disheartened, disappointed, or dissatisfied. 
You hear people talk, you know, about even, you know, how they're, I'm disillusioned with the church. I'm disillusioned with, with God, you know. Uh, the reality is, if someone is going to become disillusioned, if someone is disillusioned, first, they have to be illusioned. A play on words here. But truthfully, some people have a distorted picture of who God is and what the church should look like. An illusion, right? It's an illusion. They have a picture in their mind of how things are going to happen, how things are going to go. But it's not the reality. It's not the truth. It's just an illusion. And I think that's exactly what happened to Elijah. Elijah had this picture in his mind. He had this illusion that this ministry, this, this mission was going to last three and a half years. And he was banking on that this is the turning point right there, right? And now they're gonna see, we're going to see repentance and revival break out in the nation of Israel. But the reality was very different than what he has envisioned and hoped for. The journey, in fact, would, would not be as simple as he thought it would be. In fact, there would be a much more rebellion that would take place in the northern kingdom of Israel. You know, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you cling on something, a plan, something that you've, oh, I want this, and you're, you're praying for that, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And when that hope is deferred, it makes the heart sick. So Elijah becomes so broken at this moment because hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I mean, you think about all the energy and the effort that he has put in this ministry, this mission, all the death threats over the last three and a half years from this crazy woman. Also, he was experiencing the hardship of the drought too. He felt thirsty. He felt hungry just like the rest of them. This is an incredibly difficult time. This is a moment when you're in the wilderness and you are breaking down because you feel that you just can't handle it anymore. I just can't take it anymore. And maybe you're right there right now. And I believe there's incredible danger with the illusions that we have about God or of God. With how we think God is going to move and act and do for us, right? This is a make it or break it moment for Elijah. And moments like these are definitely make it or break it for all of us. So this is a difficult moment where in the wilderness, the illusions that we have about God are shattered. Because God wants to shatter them. That's not all though. This is an amazing opportunity to get to know the real God of the Bible, the real God of the universe. Or... An opportunity to walk away if you want to walk away. And unfortunately, so many people, as soon as they experience suffering and hardship and trials, they begin to walk away from the Lord. They do. Because what they thought about God is actually not true. They had a different kind of God in their mind. And they just walk away. Now for just a quick few minutes, here are some illusions that I've noticed people have. Just really quickly. And the first one that we hear very often is that God would never let anything bad happen to good people, right? I mean, how many times do we hear that? God wouldn't do that. You hear this all the time from so many different kinds of people, from all walks of life. Why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? I mean, he's a loving God, isn't he? The reality is that this is an illusion. It's an illusion. 
This is certainly not scriptural. It is definitely not found in the Bible. Jesus says explicitly in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Well, why? Well, in this world, you will have trouble. He promises us that we'll have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Not if. but no, no. You are going to have trouble. This is a biblical idea that God will not forsake us or leave us alone. Ever. But we will definitely experience trials and suffering. Here's another illusion that we hear many people subscribe to. That our physical well-being, your physical prosperity is the ultimate blessing that God can give. Uh, no, <laughs> it is not. This is an illusion as well. That is not true. The reality is that the more important blessings that we receive from God, more than our physical well-being or prosperity, are actually the spiritual blessings that God gives. And this is what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Well, let me just say this. People who elevate physical prosperity or wealth, they usually want to build their kingdom down here in this broken world. It's usually an indicator that they love this world too much. They're so attached to it and no, no, I got to see the Bible through the lens of prosperity, physical prosperity. Does God bless us physically? Oh, yes, he does. But it's not the, that's not the ultimate blessing. If that's us, as in, you know, we think we have this illusion, we're missing the point. We're totally missing the point of all that God has already done. In the grace and salvation and forgiveness of sin. In the home that he's preparing for us to go to. And we're going to live forever with him. Here's one more illusion that people have. The illusion that if God doesn't answer your prayer immediately in your timing. That he is either not powerful or he just doesn't care. Uh, that's an illusion. <laughs> it is. But people walk away from the Lord. Because and they'll say, well, I, I, I was praying this prayer for like, for like a week. <laughs> and God did not say anything. God is not a vending machine. Like you wouldn't call him God if he can control what he gives you when he gives it to you. That's not a God. That's a genie bottle. Also, the way that we are taught to pray by Jesus, hear this out, is that we would pray always and not lose heart. Pray always and not lose heart. What does that point to? Right? Just because God doesn't act within your timing, my timing, it doesn't make him unloving or not sovereign. Unfortunately, sometimes we get these illusions from a cheap gospel, a cheap gospel of grace that someone sold to us. It's a gospel that someone has told you about and they have only told you about the benefits of following Jesus, but not the cost. It's a gospel that someone, you know, who knows, five years ago, ten years ago. And, and by the way, oh yeah, um, you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross and follow Jesus. But yeah, yeah, yeah I, I forgot to tell you that. It's, that's the fine print. It's almost like a bad sales pitch that some of us were presented when we came to Christ, right? But we never want to be the church that doesn't emphasize what the Bible emphasizes, right? 
The reality is that God has given us so much more than we can ever ask or imagine. Amen, church? Amen. And it's definitely going to cost you something, though. We need to know that and talk about the cost of discipleship, right? Not only about the benefits of the gospel. And yes, we will experience trials, but that doesn't mean that God has left us or forsaken us. But what it means is that God is calling us to walk with him through these trials. So this is one of, the, one of those make it or break it moments for Elijah. He has, become, he has become disillusioned and he's got two choices the way I see it. Do I just run away? Right? Or do I get to know the true God a little bit more? The true God of the Bible, the true God of the universe. Let's see what he does. Let's continue reading in verse 5. We'll read 5 through uh, verse 8. And he lay down on the, under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some, some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And here we see Elijah as a broken man, right? He is at breaking point right now and he is depressed. He's disillusioned. He's hopeless. He's discouraged. And in this moment, God sends him an angelic messenger to speak words of strength, right? To encourage him, to bring him bread and water. Right when he's thirsty and, and hungry. Here's what I want to highlight for us in our life. It's moments like these. Moments of deep desperation and moments of weakness. Yeah. That God's power is actually perfected in us. Hallelujah. It's such a weird concept, isn't it? It's actually in our own weakness that we learn to depend on God's strength and God's provision. It reminds me of a prayer that Paul prayed um, during his life. He's experiencing physical weakness, right, in his body. And he, he prayed this prayer, and we read about it in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Uh, and, and, and the Bible says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. How beautiful is that? And kind of upside down. In our lives, one of the main reasons, church, why we don't experience God doing powerful things, listen to what I'm saying, and even victories over sinful patterns, is because we're not acknowledging that we need His help. We're just not. By the way, I need His help with every breath that I take. Seriously. Let alone when I go through the wilderness. Let alone, you know, when I have to carry that load of fear and anxiety that can easily crush me. Yeah, yeah. We're taught from a very young age, all by myself. It's the culture that we live in. And we think that's the best way to live life, independent. We are such a hyper-individualistic culture today. But what God is waiting for us to do is to acknowledge we need His help. That we are desperate for Him. To acknowledge our own brokenness. That it's in those moments that God comes through and His power is made great. His power is going to show up big time in our weakness. 
So I want to challenge you to cry out to God and see how broken you are. To realize that you need to be desperate for Him. And to understand that God's power and God's victory over even your habitual sin or God's peace that surpasses all understanding will come to you if you truly are desperate for Him. And if you communicate that to your Father. So let's pick up our story when Elijah shows up at Mount Sinai, which is the same as Mount Horeb, by the way, in verse uh, 9. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. I want us to notice two things out of these verses. And the first thing is that God asked Elijah a question. What are you doing here? Kind of like, like, what are you looking for? Why are you 400 miles away from Mount Carmel when this whole thing started? When I defeated the prophets through you, why are you 400 miles in the opposite direction? In other words, I think Jesus is asking Elijah, what do you want me to do for you? Now put yourself in Elijah's shoes. Let's, let's do that. And maybe you're experiencing one of those seasons in your life now of deep desperation and need for God to move in your life yesterday. How would you answer the question that God is asking Elijah, keeping in mind that you're broken and disillusioned and you're in pain? What are you doing here? What would you want me, the God of the universe, to do for you? Now, if you notice, Elijah doesn't necessarily have a single request. He, he, he doesn't say, well, Lord, you know what? I, I, could, I could use some more food. I could, I, could, I could use some more money. Some physical healing would be nice. You know, He doesn't ask for anything. In fact, all he does is vent and maybe complain a little bit. He says, all these other prophets are killed, and I'm the only one left. Your people have forsaken you, and I thought I was gonna, it was going to work out, and now we're here. I'm in the wilderness. What's going on? He's really just expressing his sorrows and his grief to God. He's venting. We're very good at venting. Did you know that? And we're very good at complaining, too. Did you know that? I know I am. Listen, one of the biggest blessings, one of the biggest gifts that God gives while going through the wilderness is prayer. And, and Raz is going to touch on silence and solitude in a couple of weeks. But I just want to touch a little bit on this. You can actually see it in Numbers 11 as well, the passage we looked at last Sunday. But we just didn't have the time to, to look at our third benefit last week. But the gift that God gives to us is prayer. Another gift, prayer. And in prayer, He gives us His ear. He wants to listen. He wants to listen to us, even when we're not super coherent, even when we, we're not even making sense, right? That's exactly what, what, what Elijah's doing. Elijah's just pouring out his heart. He's kind of being emotional. Have you ever been there? Absolutely. Yes. Where you're so hurt and at that same time emotional, and all you want to do is tell everyone how hurt you are. That kind of venting is always going to include some grumbling and complaining too, right? 
What I want to point out is that the things that he's saying are not 100% true. They're not 100% accurate. They're not. He's saying all these people are in rebellion. Well, that's not exactly true. Many people actually repented. And they turned back to God. And if you read through the end of the chapter, you'll see that there are 7,000 people in the kingdom of Israel whose knees have never bowed to this false god Baal. So, so what he's saying is not 100% accurate. And then he says, even I, and, he's, and he says this a few times throughout the story, and I'm the only prophet left. But earlier in the book, if you read earlier in the book, we can read how Obadiah had hidden hundreds of the prophets of God in caves. So there's still quite a few of them alive. So he's not the only prophet left in the land. So what I want to highlight is even, even though this is not 100% accurate, the feeling that he has is 100% real. The reality is, even if your perspective on your situation is not 100% accurate, those feelings that you have are 100% real. And God can handle your feelings. God can handle your feelings. God can handle you coming to Him and pouring out your heart of grief and of sorrow. So again, I encourage us and challenge us to go before God, to meet with Him in those places, to pour out our heart. Let me just say this as well. And even if you want to complain, not that you ever want that. Go before God if you really want to complain. And please do not do the complaining in front of people, in front of friends, in front of family members, in front of people in general. That's exactly the difference between the Israelites and Moses in, in Numbers 11 from last week. They both complained, but God was angry only with one party, with the Israelites. Why? Why is that? Because Moses did all the complaining and the pouring of the heart before God in prayer. That's why. If you don't do it before God in prayer, let me just say this. This is really important. You will complain and grumble with others and that will bring destruction in a world of hurt for everyone around you. You're not building anyone up. But God is big enough to not only hear you and take your feelings that are all over the place sometimes, but you're complaining as well. Trust me, he's a big guy. And the healing of your heart of sorrow is only in the presence of God. God will heal you. Not when you complain to others. There's no healing there. It's like cancer. It will spread as you complain to others, but it will go away and be healed if you go before God. That's a biblical principle. And look at what God does to Elijah in response. Verse 11. We'll continue. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Imagine, just imagine that picture right there. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Notice that God asked him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? By the way, he does it now in a gentle voice, in a, in a whisper, right? Very different than before. 
And sometimes this is translated in a still small voice or actually literally translated with a thin silence. That's what it means in the original, a thin silence. I'm sure you've heard this passage preached before hundreds of times, right? And this would be the punchline, right? The whisper. And people would say, see, God speaks to you only through the still, small voice. God only speaks to you through the whisper, right? I think that is reading a little bit too much into the text, if you ask me. Because the reality, if you look at the rest of Scripture, God does speak in small, still, small voices. But He also speaks in so many other ways. Let's not make a principle out of this. God speaks at times through burning bushes. God speaks, you know, through parting of the heavens. Hey, this is my son, son whom I love. Remember that? God speaks through bold ways and big ways, through earthquakes at times. Think about the Pentecost and how God spoke through a rushing wind. God certainly speaks to us through the Bible, through our conscience. There are so many ways that God speaks to us. But in this moment, God chooses to speak to Elijah specifically in a still, small voice. So let's look really quickly at the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. And this is what that teaches us, I believe. In the wind, the earthquake, and the fire, God demonstrates His power. That really demonstrates His power. I believe God is just as much meeting Elijah through those grand ways, those powerful ways, as He is in the whisper. They are all connected because because God always has a beautifully put together plan and he's infinitely purposeful. And speaking about God demonstrating his power through the wind, earthquake and the fire, Elijah needs to be reminded exactly of that, of how powerful our God is. And by the way, we all need to be reminded of God's power when we go through suffering, when we go through the wilderness. The first thing that we need is to be reminded that God is powerful. We often lose sight of the fact that God is still in control. He's all powerful when circumstances are difficult and and we feel alone and scared and oh my goodness, what's going to happen? It's been a long journey for Elijah from Mount Carmel. It's been a long 400 miles of a journey of brokenness and sorrow and depression and confusion for this guy. And maybe he's focusing too much on Jezebel and her threats. And he's forgetting who God is. He's forgetting who's in control. We've never done that, right? He's forgetting how, he's forgetting the power of God. In moments like these in the wilderness, we need to remember the power of God. Do we hear that today? COVID-19 is a crisis, isn't it? And it has been. But God is more powerful, isn't he? The economic situation we're in is very difficult. And I I think it's going to just spiral even more down. But God is more powerful. You might be experiencing hurt in your life right now. And mental instability. And an emotional roller coaster right in your life. Financial problems. And that evil Jezebel in your life is making death threats of all kinds, isn't she? And your mind and heart are a mess. But all you need to be reminded is that God is more powerful. We need to be reminded of that. So God demonstrates his power first. That's what he does. Because that's what we need to be reminded first. And second, notice how God actually speaks to him. He speaks to him in a whisper. 
in a whisper. So let me just say this. In the silence, God gives us His presence. In the silence, God gives us His presence. In the, earth, in the wind, the earthquake and the fire, God demonstrates His power and, and, and causes us to just kind of stand back because that's exactly what Elijah did. Man, no, no, I'm not going out there. I'm too scared because there's this power demonstration happening and the glory of God is seen. But in the whisper, in the silence, in, in, in the still small voice, God is causing us to lean in and listen. Believe that what God is doing in this moment, he's inviting Elijah, just as James wrote in James 4, 8, he's inviting Elijah to draw near to God as God is drawing near to him. And in moments like these, it's the whisper that's exactly what we need to hear, the whisper. For Jezebel to disappear from your mind and heart, even though she's a scary thing, because she can throw a lot at you. A lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of stress. She's a scary thing. A gentle whisper from God will take care of her. Right? And peace and joy would be restored back to our heavy and burdened hearts. This is a promise that we can have here and now. And God wants, to, wants us to have this promise here and now. Some promises we will never have until heaven. But this one here and now, we're promised that. Is Jezebel giving you problems? This witch? <laughs> Lean in and hear God's whisper. That's all you need. That's all I need. We started the sermon today with the question, in times of wilderness, what do we need to hear the most? I'll tell you what we need to hear the most. We need to hear the still, small voice of God. We need to slow down from the grief and the sorrow and the, and the pain and the suffering. And first, we need to acknowledge the power of God, of our God. Amen. And then lean in and take the time to listen to the whisper. Listen to the silence and hear the still, small voice of God. Are you doing that? So here's our main point for today. I've said everything that I've said to actually say what I'm going to say next. <laughs> You have to be still to hear God's still, small voice. How are you doing with that? Be honest. Because I think that one of the hardest things for us to do today, hear what I'm saying, is to be still. Oh boy. Our minds are filled and flooded with all kinds of thoughts. Our hearts are flooded with all kinds of emotions. They're traveling at 100 miles an hour constantly. How can you be still in that? You kidding? One of the things that I thought would happen through the lockdowns and the stay-at-home orders last year, right? And I, th I thought a lot of us maybe had that thought. I thought that the stay-at-home orders, it was such a great gift from God for those that were at home. Helping us disconnect from the busyness of life. And maybe, just maybe, we would pursue God in the prayer closet of our home. Maybe, just maybe. How many of us did that? Never mind that. How are you doing with that now? This week? 
Did you fight to be still? Because it is so easy for us to go back to Netflix, isn't it? It is so easy for us to go back to scrolling endlessly. Easy for us to go back to content overload. Entertainment overload. Information overload. And really be full of distractions. The reality is that we can get so mindless when we're supposed to be mindful and intentional about silencing everything around us and pursuing God in the silence. I truly believe that we have a massive problem. And I'm not saying this lightly because I I find myself in this. We are addicted to consuming information. In this generation, we get some sort of a high from it. The real problem begins when we bring all of that addiction into church, into our walks with God. What we constantly crave and desire is more sermons, more books, more seminars, more more podcasts, more, more teaching, Christian information overload. That may seem like a good thing, right? It's like, wow, this guy's really devoting himself to teaching. But all we do is consume this information. And we love it because it scratches some sort of an itch. But let me ask you this. Have we applied to our life any of the sermons we listened to this year? I'm asking myself that question. This is, this is, yeah. Have you noticed any real and authentic Holy Spirit change in your life in the last year? Have you? Are we looking more like Christ? Do we even remember what we talked about three, four weeks ago at church? So then my question is, what's the point? What is the point? Not only that, but this addiction with consuming new information does not aid our constant level of busyness in our minds and hearts. It does not aid it. It does not. I really believe that one of the hardest things for us to do in our culture is to quiet our soul. Even when we're quiet physically and we're sitting down The mind keeps spinning at 100 miles an hour. The reality is that everyone gets to make their own choice. Are we going to choose to fight for this quality time of God? Are you choosing that? To fight for that silence, for that quality time with God? To hear God in the middle of the crisis that you're going through? To hear God in the middle of the, you know, the wilderness? Or are we just going to continue our normal lives? You have a choice. I have a choice. Because the way to not hear from God is to be full of distractions and to have your mind filled with information overload. It's almost as if our minds have been conditioned to be distracted. All of our gadgets, all of our phones, social media, all of these things are not helping at all. I'm thinking of Psalm 4610. You know what God says there? Be still and know that I am God. Can you be still? So it's up to us what we're going to choose. It's up to us to be still. Unplug. Turn your phone off. Throw it in the garbage. Do whatever you need to do. Put it in the other room if you may. And open up Bible. Sit in silence and listen to the still small voice. And do that for a long, long time. Yes. God's still voice is audible enough. Yes. 
But you have to lean in to catch what he's saying. And we have to lean in many times. The only way to have quality time is to have lots of quantity time. Have you ever heard that principle before? It's a great principle to uh, apply in your marriage. You can't just schedule quality time with your wife. I can't just say, Emma, Friday at 7 o'clock, 7 to 7.30, you're going to open up your heart to me. It's going to be deep and profound, and we're going to cry, and we're going to connect. That half an hour, okay? Let's let's schedule that. You can't do that. (laughs) You just can't. And then expect to have some super heart-to-heart conversation. You can't. What you do is you spend a lot of time together loving each other, doing life together. Being faithful to one another. On and on. Day in and day out. And out of that quantity of time together, quality time will just hiccup on you. It just comes naturally. That's the same way with hearing God's still and powerful voice. The voice that brings life and healing in our hearts. You've got to spend time seeking Him. You have to spend time reading His Word. You have to fight for the silence You have to fight to get quiet in prayer and then do that many times over and over and over and over again. And out of that quantity of time, God will whisper to you and God will make his still and small voice heard and healing and life and purpose will flow again into our hearts and minds. That is tough. I, I, I struggle with this. I struggle with this. But what's the alternative? To continue my life being stressed and anxious and fearful and to be controlled by Jezebel all the time? Or is it worth it to press in and fight with every ounce of energy that I have to get silent? But you know what? God gives us an amazing helper. His name is the Holy Spirit. So don't think that, oh man, this is overwhelming. I can't do that. I've tried it for 40 years. I just can't. No, 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 no. You have the Holy Spirit with you. And He is powerful. So the first thing we got to remember that He is powerful. Not only... You know, can you be in the earthquake and and just an amazing demonstration of glory? Hey, I'm in control. But he can help us to fight for that silence as well. That's right. You know, one of the awesome principles that I I had to, you know, learn learn the hard way. I just thought that, you know, before I got, you know, before I gave my life to Jesus, I thought that, hey, you know, I get grace for right this moment when I repent initially. And then I'm kind of on my own, you know. I just kind of have to... Stay holy and righteous and, man, just hope that it's going to go good for me. No, 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 We have grace for every breath that we take in life. We have breath for repenting every single day of our life. We have breath for fighting for the silence. We have breath for absolutely everything that we want to do for the glory of God. So be encouraged by that. Yes. Would you please stand with me? I want to just pray for us. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.